Welcome to Lessons from the Trenches. My name is Brad Cook, and I'm your host. I'm on a mission to talk with as many people as I can. I believe there are powerful and meaningful lessons from those in the trenches. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we talk with people from all types of businesses and in every role. So if you're ready, let's get into the trenches. For joining us today, I want to introduce to you my guest, Andy Galliano. He's of Galliano Mortgage. And today, hopefully, we're going to get in and uncover some of the dirty secrets of the mortgage business. And hopefully, we all leave just a little smarter. Andy, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. As you can see, I just rolled out of bed and I just jump on here and do the do the podcast with you. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. And as far as learning some stuff, I'm not real sure how that's going to go, but you can you can evaluate me on that at the end. So we'll see. How that, that sounds good. And, and fortunately, Andy, this is audio only, so no one will see what I'm looking at. Thank God. Okay, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'd love to do is just kind of go backwards in time and ask the, the backstory. When you were a kid, did you play with money? Were you a monopoly guy that just couldn't scratch that itch? You know, it's funny that you ask that. I, 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 Monopoly lasted too long. You know, there was really no end other than putting your opponent in financial ruin. And <laughs> putting them in financial ruin never interested me, even though I did like the real estate part of the, of the game. But, you know, I look back and when you ask that question, I think about my childhood growing up. And so this is really kind of a funny story. My my dad, really my mom and my dad are both entrepreneurs. My grandfather on my mom's side was an entrepreneur as well. And I remember one year, so when I needed money, I would go to work, okay? I had my, okay. my chores around the house that I did. But when I needed, and I'm using air quotes, so this is uh, audio only, you can't, you guys listening can't see this. But if I wanted money, I went to work. So I would go to work with, with my dad for the day, or I'd go work. If I wanted real money, I'd go grandfather because my grandfather would pay more than my dad would. Cool <laughs> grandparent thing, you know? So I remember one summer for about two or three weeks straight, I went to work with my grandfather because he would pay me, I don't know, maybe it was $20 a day. And, you know, hey, I might've been 10 or 11. And my idea of working was, I'm going to go throw some rocks in the pond, you know, and, <laughs> or try to catch some frogs or something like that. But I remember for, you know, a longer period of time than normal, I went to work for my grandfather every morning instead of my dad, because my grandfather would pay me about twice what my dad would pay me. And so... Finally, it got to the point where my parents were like, no, you're not going to work with Papa today because we have to drive you to his house for him to take you to work. And then, you know, he'll, he does drop you off in the afternoons. But if you, want, if you want to work, you need to go to work with your dad today. So I was scolded for trying to make more money by, you know, gaining the system and going to work for my grandfather. Mm. But it was... It, it was 
that was always instilled in, I, I have two older brothers and a younger sister, but that was always instilled in us as kids. You know, if you want money, you have to work for the money. Right. And, you know, uh, not making a, uh, any sort of a political statement at all. It's more of an observation on my part. I don't see that happening a whole lot with a bunch of kids today. You know, right. At a younger age or even high school age. And, you know, I, I think that the economy, uh, truly, I think our economy is a little worse for that. But, um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I've, I'm just enlightened to know that they actually had cars back when you worked with your grandfather. That's really so encouraging. The cars, the ones you did. <laughs> <laughs> So where was this? Where did you grow up? Where was home? So uh, I'm born and raised in Birmingham. I grew up on the eastern side of town, went to school in Trussell. Um, you know, so kind of over in that area, my grandfather owned a business in Moody and my dad owned a business in Pelham. And so they were in the landscape and nursery business. And so both of them were. And so I grew up in that world around plants, plenty of very hard labor going on. Mm -hmm. It yeah. made me appreciate what they did day in, day out. It showed me how hard they were to make what they made to be able to support their families. And I would say more importantly, it taught me what I did not want to do when I grew up. Amen. Right. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. Absolutely. I knew I did not want to dig ditches for a living. So, but yeah. Yeah. You know, I uh, had several siblings, went off to college at Alabama, Roll Tide. Roll Tide. I have glorious years there, four of them in school. We won't talk about the fifth year. And then moved back to Birmingham. And in that process, so while I was in school, I'll take a half a step back. While I was in college, I majored in real estate, but I knew I didn't really want to be a residential realtor. I just was intrigued by real estate. And so I thought that I might want to be a commercial realtor. Well, one of the classes that we had to take in order to get that real estate degree was real estate finance. And when I was in that class, I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I thought, hey, this is something that I could see myself doing the rest of my life. I, this is a lot of fun to me. And so that was at that, you know, at that point in time, that was a revelation for me. And that's where, and when I decided that I wanted to pursue something in the mortgage realm and sure. that part of the, of the business. And so I got a job with a mortgage company in Tuscaloosa after I graduated, worked there for about I'd say a year and the owner of that company's, his wife always wanted to move to Birmingham. So it, they decided they were going to open an office in Birmingham. So me and two other guys came to Birmingham, opened an office for them here in Birmingham. And after being in Birmingham for about six months and having this office going, they started, my boss and his spouse started having some issues and it started having some effects on the business. And I just realized at that point, it was a good time for me to make a different move to get out and go to a different direction. And 
I interviewed with a few companies, a few mortgage companies here in town, and just realized that it, it was me getting into more of the same, you know, that I mm. could be back in the same exact position in about six months, three years, or maybe never. You just don't ever know. So I went into, the, we had a, a lender that we sold loans to that was based in Birmingham. And I went into their office one day to bring them a loan file to, to have it underwritten. And was talking to my account rep. He and I were sitting in his office and I said, hey, you know, and he had given me those other companies to go interview with. And so when I went back in his office and was sitting there talking to him, I said, you know, I've, I've interviewed with these other companies and there's just nothing there that really excites me. You know, I, I haven't talked to anybody that just really gets me going. Is there anyone else that you would recommend that I go and talk to? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of other companies and just that little bit of hesitation in his voice kind of told me that I probably didn't want to go talk to him. Mm. And so I said, well, what's, what is involved in starting my own company? And what if I wanted to open my own company and do this? And he said, well, all you do is you fill out this package of papers and bring it back in here. And I said, well, what about being incorporated? Well, yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of people will incorporate so that gives them a little extra layer of liability protection. So, you know, if you were going to start your own company, I'll probably recommend you that. Well, what if I do this? And what if I do that? What if I need to do this? And he's just from that point forward, he just kept saying, Hey, fill out these papers and bring them back. Well, what about net worth? Do I need to show a certain net worth? Just fill out papers and bring them back. Well, what if I need just fill out papers and bring them back? Well, after about the 10th time of him saying that, I finally got a clue. I'm not real bright. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but I, I said, okay, all right. I'll fill out the papers and I'll bring them back. So I did that. While I, after I left his office, I called an, a closing attorney friend that I had made in the business. And I called her and I said, hey, you know, what's involved with me doing articles in the corporation? And can you point me in the direction of somebody that, that can do that for me? She said, I'll do it for you. I said, well, how much will you charge? I won't charge you anything. You just have to pay the recording fees on it. Okay, I can do that. So she drew up my articles of incorporation. I filled out the application package with the lender and brought that back into their office along with my articles of incorporation. And about four days later, I got a phone call said, congratulations, you're approved to sell us loans. So all of a sudden, I was in business. I was 24 years old. 20, not even 24 and a half. I was 24 years old. Wow. I tell people all the time I was too young and dumb to know that I could not do it. Yeah. Then there's, there's actually some freedom in the, in that statement, right? Because if you were, if you knew more, the fear and the, you know, the, the reality, or you, you could easily talk yourself out of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And knowing what I know today, I probably would talk myself out of it. Because it, there's just so much to not just being a business owner, but just being in the mortgage business, period, as a loan officer. Well, then you throw that extra layer of exposure or liability on top of that with owning the company. And you are the person that the regulators are looking at now. Right. Should something go wrong. And... Oh yeah. On top of that, you also have the responsibility of running the company and oh yeah. On top of that, if you have employees, you have the responsibility of keeping them fed 
and it's right so much to it so much but you know again i was too young and dumb it was a it was a blessing at that point that i did not know what all i was getting myself into and i just got in and just plugged away and continued doing what i was doing you know had a few good breaks go go my way along the, the line there and and that helped me a lot so I'd love to come back to that, to the business and kind of see, you've done a great job describing the start. And so in a minute, we'll fast forward to what today looks like, but I'm really interested to, from a, a mortgage broker standpoint, how do you describe the last two, three years? I mean, from your side, we I think everyone knows somebody that's a realtor and um, I can tell you that I've got a daughter that lives in Atlanta that's put 19 different offers in on trying to buy their first home. And uh, needless to say, they're still looking. So yeah. from your standpoint, how do you describe the last couple of years? How's that been for you? The last two, two and a half years have been phenomenal. You know, it's, it's you, you have to understand to how I've grown to appreciate it because you look back over the period of time that I've been in the business and I, and I know we're, we want to talk about the present a little bit more, but I think to understand the present, we do have to reflect back on the past to understand and appreciate the present. We have to reflect back on the past. We can't dwell on it, but we have to reflect on it. So having gone through the crisis, the housing crisis and the crash and knowing what the bad years are like, it really makes you appreciate the good years. So mm. Lots and lots and lots of long, long days, hard work, and it's been very fulfilling, very satisfying, very rewarding, and it's been profitable the past couple of years. You know, there's no denying any of that. People, people don't buy a house without people like Andy. I mean, unless they're trust fund kids or... Or they've got, you know, some other things. So from from your perspective, how does it feel when you get a young couple and they're starting their life and they want to, you know, and they come to you and they say, you know, here are W-2s and what can you do? How does that feel? It's, that's one of the most rewarding things about the job, you know. First of all, to know that someone trusts you enough to let you handle a transaction that is as important as this transaction is. Right. Huge. I mean, that's, that is such an honor. It really is. And I, I think that that's overlooked by a lot of people, maybe taken for granted by a lot of people in the industry. But that is such an honor for me, for that person to have that level of trust in me. And most of the time, that level of trust is built from who they're referred to me by. And the good words that that person that has referred them to me has spoken about me or the company. And so from that point, you know, it's, <laughs> and, and I, 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 I have to be careful with this because sometimes I get too wrapped up in these but from that point once that application is submitted those w-2s bank statements pay stubs all that stuff is submitted from that young couple 
trying to buy their first home. That's my loan. I'm working on that loan like it is my own loan. And I'm invested in that deal from that point. Yeah. Out. They, those two people are my family. I'm going to work my rear end off to make sure that this is a success for them. And, you know, I think that I, I think the vast majority of, of my clients pick up on that and know that they've got someone who's working for them to get through this process. And, you know, we never want to make the process difficult on somebody, which is why we try to educate them as we go along through the process. Mm -hmm. And it, we have to be careful with that too, because I can over-educate you right from the start and overwhelm you in the process. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that is not what I want to do. So it's important that we baby step this and I, uh, you know, baby step it is probably too much simplification with, with that process, but, you know, break it down into, Hey, what are your next steps? Well, I need you to do these one or two or three things next. Then when you get those three things done or two things done, then here's the next thing I need you to do. And before you know it, after you've gone through five or six or you know, I, I don't want to say 10, but I'm going to say 10 steps. Yeah. We're there. It's closing day. And we go to closing and to, to sit across the table from those clients who are buying their first home. And it is scary. I mean, I remember my first one. You probably remember your first one like it was yesterday. It's a scary process. I remember it. I respect that. The fact that it's scary. I know what they're going through. And just knowing that the that the education that I can provide them going through that process helps to make it a little less scary. And, you know, to be sitting there with them and then go through that closing and they get out and they've got keys in their hands. And a lot of times you don't see emotion from them because they don't know what in the world has just happened. I mean, it's kind of like a whirlwind. You know, you've got all these 200 things going on at the same time and trying to buy right. them trying to get the money to buy the house. And then all of a sudden you cross the finish line and what do I do next? Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's sort of life starts now guys. Yeah. So today, are there more tools for you to use as a mortgage broker to get uh, that young couple in the home? I, I'm curious over the course of your career, how have the, the tools in your business changed? It is, it, the technology has been mind-blowing technological changes over the past 28 years that I've been in the industry. And so I would say that is the number one thing that's changed. So to get the job done, you know, it used to be that a fax machine was high tech and <laughs> It used to be so high tech that lenders would not accept anything from a fax machine because if you remember that thermal paper from a fax machine, if you left it in the in sunlight or fluorescent light, it would fade and it would all right. and there was nothing on the page. So lenders learned that the hard way. So we went from being able to send stuff by fax to a lender to not being able to send stuff by fax. Oh wait, well then the fax world changes and you can print on plain copy paper. 
So now we can start doing step by facts again. Then thank goodness for Al Gore, we get the internet. <laughs> we go from, you know, having to order a credit report and it may take two or three days to come in to all of a sudden we order a credit report and it might take, well, I, so the internet was slow back then. You remember that it, it would take with a dial up modem, two or three minutes to come in, but you had a credit report almost instantaneously and could look at that and give your client guidance at that point in time to say, Hey, I think we stand a really good shot of getting this done, or, Hey, we might have a little bit of a rough time and we might have a couple of extra hurdles to overcome. So, you know, the technology, the, the progression of that over a period of years has been a tremendous help, not just for us in the industry, but for the, the level of service that we're able to provide to the clients to where today's day and age, someone could submit an application online. Our system can pull their credit. It can be run through the automated underwriting system and we can have them a free approval in a matter of minutes. Whereas when I started 28 years ago, it was, uh, if we really, really hurried and got it done quickly, two weeks to get to that point. Have the, have the mortgages themselves uh, changed? Um, I, I remember back when we got our first house, you know, there was a couple to pick from. You could have an arm, you could have a 30 year fixed, a 15 year fixed. There was, you know, it just felt like there was a couple of things to choose from. Is that still the case today? Or do you have more creative ways to help folks get into homes? Yeah. You know, those, those basic products are still there. There are, and, and this is interesting, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, you know, the, these, they were called subprime loans back before the crash and really were a, were a large part of the reason for the crash. But those programs have been around ever since I've been in the industry. The difference there was that those products were available only for self-employed borrowers, only for borrowers, self-employed borrowers with very good credit, and only for self-employed borrowers with very good credit with a large down payment. Well, we morphed from that into, okay, we'll give that subprime loan to anyone who can fog a mirror. <laughs> we don't care if they're self-employed. We don't care anything, you know, if they've got a large down payment or any down payment at all. And so that was, you know, one of the many reasons for the crash, but the, those types of products have been around for quite some time. It's just, they weren't very well known because they weren't getting the press that they got until mm. the crash. And then after the crash and those products went away for a temporary very temporary period of time, they're back. They're being done more wisely now, more like they were 28 years ago where someone's got to be self-employed only. They've got to have very good credit. They've got to have a lot. Gotcha. And those are not risky loans, but there's a lot of options out there. You know, we do those in fixed rates. We do those in adjustable rates. We do the, yeah, you still got your 
10, 15, 20, 25, and 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, but I can also do a 22-year loan if you wanted a 22-year loan. So all right, there's a little more flexibility today, and I think the technology has helped out a good bit with that, you know, to be able to, to for the lenders to be able to offer that type of product. So there's some new stuff out there. There's still some of the old stuff out there that was good, you know, almost 30 years ago, and it'll be good for the next 30 years as long as no one changes it. Right. And that's, there's the air quotes again, right? As long as no one changes that, uh, listen to us, federal government. You you said something a, a second ago that just made me think. If I'm a new home buyer, or, you know, or I'm buying my third home, why do I go to a mortgage broker over going to my local bank and going into the loan department? Like, what are the advantages? Yeah, that's a very good question. We get asked that quite a bit. And we also get asked, well, you know, you're a third party. Am I having to pay you and then pay the lender on top of that? Right. So... Those are, those are very good questions. And the benefit of going to a mortgage broker over a bank is flexibility, the options there. I'll give you a real world example of a loan that I've got in the pipeline right now. Self-employed borrower, been self-employed for two and a half, three years, something like that. And once we get his tax returns, and analyze the income on those tax returns, it's a little bit lower than what we what he had told us it was going to be. And so because of that, his debts compared to his income, that percentage debt to income is too great to get him approved on a traditional loan the way that they want it. Well, if he had just gone to a bank, deal's dead. See you later. Sorry, can't help. You. Right. But because we've got different lenders, different programs, different lenders that specialize in different programs and, and have more options available, we're able to take that loan that would have been turned down by the bank and approve that loan. And the way that we do that is, well, we're just going to ignore the tax returns and we're going to look at the deposits that he's got going into his business account. And we're going to analyze those deposits, take a percentage of those deposits. And now we've got a new income figure. And that income figure is going to be enough to support the mortgage payment that he's going to be making. Again, excellent credit. A little bit, you know, I'm going to say a little bit of a larger down payment, talking at 10 to 15% down payment. That's not a bad loan. This is someone who's been proven to pay his bills. He's been established in business for a while. You know, that's a good loan. But that's someone who would have been turned down just by going to a bank. So there's because we have more programs, because we have more lenders, Mm -hmm. have more options, we're able to give our clients a better opportunity at getting approved. But not only that, I've got lenders that are very hungry and very aggressive for FHA loans. Or, and maybe they're not aggressive, as aggressive for a conventional loan. But then I've got lenders that are very aggressive for conventional loans, and maybe they're not aggressive for FHA. So by having an assortment of lenders, 
I'm able to have lenders that have a big appetite for all of these loan products that are available to all loan to all borrowers out there, whereas a bank just has the bank products to offer. And gotcha. so that gives us the ability to be able to shop interest rates as well and shop closing costs as well. And the number one thing that we look at when we're trying to decide if we're even going to sell loans to a certain lender is can you deliver at least a level of service that's as good as we deliver to our clients? Because if they don't, then instantaneously, our level of service that we can offer our clients has dropped to meet their level. And that's not acceptable. So the lenders that we deal with are exceptional at what they do. They want to do mortgages. And mm -hmm. for me was a big realization that I had to, I had to sit down at my desk in 2011 and sort through all of the loans that I closed that year because it was just a brutal year. Figure out why is it that some loans were closing so easily, so quickly, so smoothly? And why is it that some of them were just bears to get closed? and would take longer than they should have, require more touches for the client than they should. And the difference was the level of service that I was getting from my lenders. Some of them had tightened up their credit requirements so much because of the crash in 08 that they were no longer as easy to do business as they with as they were before the crash. Right. Some of them were not. So what do you do in that point? At, the, at that point? Well, it's an easy decision to make in my mind. Uh, I'm sorry, it's been a good run, but we're breaking right. You know, you're, you're, I'm just not in that into you anymore. You know, so <laughs> those lenders go away. You focus on the lenders that can deliver that level of service that you expect to be able to mm -hmm. clients that you demand. Um, I, I will say that I have heard that phrase before by young ladies all through my high school. <laughs> oh, to, well, uh, let me rephrase what I'm thinking. If, if your 25-year-old self was here today and you were talking to him, right? You just out of school, you were either starting Galliano Associates or you were know that you were going in some other direction. What advice would you give to yourself? Man, that's a tough one. So actually, you know what? It's really not all that tough. I would, I would give myself two pieces of advice. First and foremost, and I think this is important for any business owner, get a mentor. And what I did not do, my, my, I mentioned early on about my grandfather. My grandfather had a, a great education, I think, and was a successful businessman, very well respected in you know, the industry he was in. And I looked to him as a model for what I wanted to be as a businessman and for a model as to completely different industries, but for a model as to how I wanted my business to be. Hmm. Well, 
he wasn't so much of a mentor in offering advice, offering his real world experiences about what he went through because not long after I started my company, he passed away. So I did not, I, I have been very guarded with what I have shared with people about my business over the years. And because of that, I think that it has, I, I think that I have been a limiting factor for what this business could be today because of that. I didn't have someone to say, hey, you know, you're struggling with hiring right now. And, and I'm not ashamed to say it. It's because it's much different today than it was 15 years ago. I struggled hiring. I was not hiring the right people. I think that's a very, 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 you're the business coach here. You tell me if I'm wrong, please. But a very common mistake mm -hmm. this owners make. They hire the wrong people. And in doing so, you're not building that culture that you need to build. You're not building that structure that you need to build. Imagine building a home with no foundation. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you've got no foundation in your company, it's not going to sustain. It's not going to, you're not going to continue to go up and up and up on top. So, um, in getting back to that, you know, one of the things that has helped me over the years is, and is, is being more open with other business owners because they're, Look, we love to talk about business. If you own a business, you love to talk about business. It's your baby. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, yeah. Ask, ask those grandparents about their grandchildren. You know, if you've got a few hours to spare. <laughs> these are our kids. You know, these businesses are. And so we're open to a point, obviously. You, you know, people are not going to tell you, oh, yeah, I made X number of dollars last year. As a general rule. But... If you're experiencing problems, then the people are open to helping you solve those problems or tell you how they solve them. So having a mentor is very important. And I was probably, as a young business owner, there's no problem. I was too closed about my business and not being open up with sharing the struggles or the, the problems that I was having. Just being so young and trying to grow the business. Right. You know, I, I've never hired anybody. How do you make sure you hire the right person? You know, so being for me, so you know this, but listeners don't. I'm part of a networking group and it is, it has been a very good thing for me to do as a business owner because there are probably 15 other business owners in there. And when I, and, and I sit down with these business owners, you know, over the course of the year individually and share discussions like what we're just talking about, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm having some issues yeah, is that they're absolutely killing me right now. Well, you know, what you start spitting off ice and, you know, exchanging things. And next thing you know, you come out with a, a brilliant solution that you would not have had otherwise. So that would be one thing. And the other thing would be, well, I don't know, it kind of ties into that. So it would be to hire better. 
So again, had I had a mentor, I probably would know that I needed to hire better early on. So if, if I had hired better early on, I would not have been as hesitant over the period of years to grow the company. And so that would be the two pieces of advice I would give the 25 year old man. Yeah, that's, those are so good. I mean, I think it was Tony Robbins that said success leaves clues and maybe it was his mentor, Jim Rome that said it originally, but there's a lot of truth to that. And if, and if you can model or mirror or see how someone else has walked through the fire to save your feet, so to speak, you'd be silly to, to think that you have any better idea how to do it. And as a as a coach, that's one of the biggest struggles that um, that our industry faces. Is typically when we work with entrepreneurs, um, I, I'll say this nicely: there's ego involved, right? Oh, these yeah. these are type A driven people, and they want to figure it out. They want to get it done. And any sign of saying, "Hey, I I, I need some help." is in their mind a sign of weakness. Right. And once you get past that, it's like there's a whole never a whole nother level of of business, of growth, of success once you get on the other side of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's it's eye-opening really once you embrace that and and learn that it's okay to not know everything. It is it is perfectly okay to fail mm. to a point, but you can limit your failures and you can limit your ignorance by leaning on, and I'm, I'm using that word lightly because we don't want to be too much of a burden, but leaning on others who've been there, done that. Right. And, or, or how about, hey, in that position today and going through it. And so, you know, for someone who is a business owner to open up to a coach, to open up to a mentor, and you get that piece of eye-opening advice that solves your problem, that makes your life easier from that point forward, it's like, bring it on, baby. (laughs) Whatever you can share, just bring it on. Come on. I'm glad to see that you've figured out the hiring thing because I do know Shannon uh, and you've got some good folks working for you. So either through failure or just time getting into that thick skull, you figured it out and you've done well in your, your business. I'll, as you mentioned, we're both in a networking group and the, the value of being in a networking group, the ability to refer people. So you become someone that others can know, like, and trust. And then all of a sudden you've got a room full of people that are advocates, right? And I can tell you just from the meetings that I've been in every week, your company has done business with and, uh, there continues to be nothing but good things being said and continual referrals. And I'd love to ask you, you know, what percentage of your business is 
referral based as opposed to advertising? Do you do any advertising? I do a little bit of advertising and, you know, I consider my website to be an advertisement. Okay. It's, it's probably more of a brochure than an advertisement, but I consider that to be an advertisement as far as paid ads go. I do very, very little of that. And 90% of my business is referral based and that's the way that I wanted it. You know, I, so when I did start the company, remember I just moved to Bur- back to Birmingham from Tuscaloosa. I just started a company. I was 24 years old. My friends from high school, uh, you know, still have a lot of friends from high school that I talked to today. I'm not sure why they still talk to me, but they do. But they were not at that point to where they were settling down yet because the vast majority of them were either still in school or, you know, trying to get their roots established in, in this world and not to a point where they could buy. So I'd, I had to do some advertising to grow. Yeah, those terms. To eat, absolutely. And so I realized very early on that the clients that I got from referrals were much easier to work than the clients that I got from advertising. The clients that I got from advertising, we talked about that, that trust and the fact that when, when that couple comes to me and they hand me those W-2s, they trust me. Well, that, if that couple comes from an ad, they don't trust me as much. They don't know me. But if a couple that hands me their W-2s comes from a referral from Brad, they know Brad, they like Brad, they trust Brad and because Brad knows, likes to trust me, they feel the same way that they should trust me. So we've already, we've skipped the no and the like part and mm-hmm. trust. And now it's my part to get them to know me and to like me, which is easy because I'm so charming. Oh, there it is. We are at the uh, 46 minute mark and uh, that's, that's a new record that it took that long. Um, well, listen, Andy, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing some insights, especially opening up a little bit about your business from the start. Um, it's, I think it's, uh, very clear the culture that you ultimately built right through bad hires, through not knowing what the right way to do this is, uh, you've settled on a, a wonderful company and, um, the fact that 90 plus percent of your business is referrals, that speaks volumes. Where can folks find you? What's that best way for them to find you other than in a, in a tree stand somewhere? <laughs> well, hopefully I'm hard to find in the tree stand. So in the office, I should be a lot easier to find. Our phone number, Pollyanna Mortgage, is 205 979 4412. And when you call that number, you're going to get an automated operator. You could press one or two to get to me as far as the extensions go, once you get to that or that automated operator. And phone is generally the best way to get me. Someone can email me. That's also a great way. My email address is a little bit more difficult because, well, it's got my last name in it. So it is Andy, that's A-N-D-Y, at Galliano, 
mtg.com. So I'm going to spell it all back out. A-N-D-Y at G-A-G-L-I-A-N-O. M-T-G.com. So we'll, we'll have that in the show notes. Great. Great. But yeah, that's really the best two ways to get me. You know, somebody can jump online and read our Google reviews. They can check out our website and learn a little bit more about the company. But, you know, those, those reviews on Google, you know, we, I, I, I pride myself on that because for some people are so eager to leave a bad review. And it's not just in the mortgage world, it's about any mm. or, or any service at all. And thank goodness we've got a bunch of good reviews on there. And you know, I think it goes back to just treating your clients the way that you want to be treated. Right. It was on the other Amen. end. Yeah. So. Yeah. Appreciate, appreciate you, man. I'll see you at the next meeting. Yeah. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Thanks again to my guest. Andy Galliano of Galliano Mortgage. If anyone is in the Birmingham area or the state of Alabama for that matter, and you're thinking of buying a home, contact Andy. He and his team are going to make buying a home enjoyable. If you know anyone that would make a good guest, please contact us. Booking at trenches.live. Everyone, have a great week and remember to win the day.